Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 25 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. I'm excited to share the fourth in a series of episodes talking with the Buddhist teachers that not only educated me in the Dharma, but shaped my life for the better. One of my first teachers said, everyone is your teacher because everyone is a Buddha. That is true, but there are some teachers who come into your life and have a major influence on you. I'm thrilled to have another one of my teachers, Reverend Sacha Robin, a priest in the Amida Order, joining me for this episode where we talk about how the whole of messy humanity is met by the divine when we relax our sense of control and know that life accepts us just as we are. Those are Sacha's beautiful words. I know you'll delight in Sacha's gorgeous, descriptive ways of communicating the heart and soul of spiritual practice, Buddhism, Pure Land Buddhism, Refuge, and yes, the F word, faith. So here we are at episode 25 of Everyday Buddhism, Making Every Day Better, and the fourth in a series of episodes where I will talk with my teachers, teachers that helped shape my life as a Buddhist practitioner and a better person. I think like uh, Greg Creech a couple of episodes ago, I may be here surprising Sacha here that I, she, I consider her a teacher. Um, never told her point blank, but maybe <laughs> hinted around a few times. Um, so in this episode, I am talking with Sacha Robin. Sacha is a shortened version of her full Buddhist name, Sachavani, which means eloquent communicator of the truth. I just found that out today in researching you. Um, I first virtually met Sacha as a student of David Brazier Sensei's books and teachings and as a student of the Vow 22 program through the Amida Academy of Zen Therapy. Um, and as a friend of the Amida Order, I don't even know if Vowel 22 still exists, but hey, there we go. It's a plug. Um, I went on to explore her small stones writing programs and learned so much from her as not just a Buddhist teacher, but a writer. Um, a writer who helps you stop and look at things around you and turn that into a Buddhist practice. And I found that her Buddhist name, Eloquent Communicator of the Truth, to be spot on. Actually, we were just talking about that in our little chat prior, um, where um, she can be painfully honest in her writing, and I think you will enjoy that. <laughs> Sacha is, uh, for people who don't know who you are, Sacha is a Buddhist priest who runs a Pure Land Buddhist temple associated with the Amida Order in Malvern in the UK, and she runs it with her husband, Kaspa. Uh, she's also a psychotherapist in private practice and a successful author of both fiction and nonfiction. I don't know how she does it all, but she and her husband, Caspa, also used to run Writing Our Way Home, offering mindful writing courses. 
I don't think they do that anymore, but it was one of the things that I so enjoyed. Um, but I have a sneaking suspicion if you ask Sacha who she is, I suspect her answer would be that she's an ordinary person. In fact, she would probably answer that she isn't an ordinary foolish person. <laughs> so in the introduction to her latest and just released book, Plug, 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 uh, Coming Home, Refuge in Pure Land Buddhism, she puts it this way, quote, I am an ever-shifting mixture of light and dark, deluded and enlightened, and I know that I am acceptable, just as I am, and that you are also a mix of awful and wonderful, and you are also illuminated by the light of love. So I think that from Satya is a wonderful way to introduce both her and Pure Land Buddhism. So welcome, Satya, and thank Satya, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Wendy. What a wonderful introduction. I, I can't say anything that's going to top that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Might well, as well stop now. We're gonna we're gonna have a lot of time to fill then. Satya, <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask a couple questions and then you're up. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right. So how would you answer the question, who are you? I just did it for mm. you through the words of you are, are yours. You're mm. running so many things, you know, a Buddhist priest running a temple, a psychotherapist, mm. an author, people who don't know. I know her as a Facebook friend. I know she also looks after a vegetable garden and cats and bunnies and soon to be a new puppy. So I think she's in for it. So who are you, <laughs> Sacha? <laughs> Yeah, start with a small question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't do anything easy. I don't. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, isn't it? And um, I think that there are themes in the, the various things that I do. Um, so uh, I once, um, there's a poet in England called Selina Hill and I went on one of her courses once and she said that living as a poet one of the byproducts of living as a poet is poems that the poems kind of just sort of slough off you like uh, skin yeah. um, as a result of being in relationship with the world in a particular way and so I guess that one of the ways of looking at all the different things that I do um, is that they're all kind of a byproduct of some uh, central koan, I guess, some something that I've brought to this world um, that that needs to be investigated. There's a Buddhist word. I'm, I think it's bhavanga. I don't know if you've heard of bhavanga. Dharma mm -hmm. Vidya. David mm -hmm. Brazier talks about our bhavanga and that it's like something that we enter the world with, and and everything that we do revolves around it somehow. Mm trying to work something out, work something through. And I would have said a while ago that my bhavanga, my, my central koan was something about being able to tell the truth. Mm. So in my books, the novels are often about people who are finding a way of speaking something that hasn't found a space to be heard. Um, as a therapist, I'm helping my clients to find their own truth and, and articulate it or bring mm -hmm. it into bring it into the world. 
uh, as a Buddhist priest, um, the same. But I think that I'd probably give you a different answer now, which is more about coming into relationship with the divine, I think. Wow. Um, and that, that that's my job as uh, little me, and also hopefully I can help others to, to do that in their own way. Hmm. Whatever the divine is for them, you know, it might be the Buddha, it might be something entirely different, might be nature. Um, so yeah. that's that's something that 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 remains important, and um, yeah, is a thread that runs through. You know, that's interesting because I think that's what it, for those of you who run out and get Sacha's book, I think that's what you'll find. There is the it's sort of a, it's a, I love this kind of thing as sort of a, a, a hack poet myself is, is the uh, juxtaposition of like the real earthy, goofy, awful stuff mm. and the divine. And yeah. Sacha has a wonderful way of kind of interweaving all those so much so that it's like, um, you know, there's sometimes there's no transition, and I think that put I think that puts people off who are very linear, and mm -hmm. you know what I mean. It's like I mm -hmm. not that they put them off. I'm not saying people are put off by writing. I'm saying it can be confusing to people who don't yeah. have that sense of okay, I'm just gonna, you know. It's like I had a friend. I, I introduced a book to. Uh, book to her it, it was the light inside the dark you know the book mm. uh, by yeah. john tarant yeah. yes yeah. one of my favorite books of all time and i introduced it to a friend who was leading workshops at a high corporate level in xerox and mm -hmm. i told and and i told her that this might be a good it was the sort of the learning forum or something i forget what it was called and i suggested that that might be a book that she she would never have thought of and that she could she might try it and she, she read the book and she said oh my gosh this thing reads like a river so, <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's what i'm trying yeah. to say long-winded that you yeah. do yeah. write like a river and, yeah. and 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 it's sort of like it's you know it's not the same no matter where you step in yeah yet it's still the river um and yeah. and in unless yeah. you're willing to kind of go with it you might get a little lost so yeah that's nice that's interesting and and you saying that makes me think of authors i really admire like Anne lamotte who, who writes yeah, about Annie lamotte. yeah yeah and um and richard Rohr, i think does it very well i i, I rami shapiro i really appreciate those authors who are able to really bring the whole of their messy humanity to the table yes the messy humanity that's the thing you yeah. do that so well yeah. <laughs> and you do that at the expense of yourself most of the time well <laughs> quite amazing i kind of i kind of blank out what i put in the books once it's, in the books. it's just it's, out there well then but, once you see it in writing how does it feel <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, to many people like in the U.S. and even possibly other countries, you know, that sort of mix of Buddhist priest and psychotherapist mm -hmm. may seem a bit conflicted, sort of on this whole sort of uh, realm of um, the messy humanity and mm. the divine. Um, I think to a lot of people, especially in the U.S., where psychotherapy is a little bit different than it is in the U.K., mm -hmm. um, 
because of the licensure and so forth. And it's, yeah. it's so it's structured in such a clinical, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And clinical, you know, qualifications. I think the thought of a psychotherapist and a Buddhist priest might seem mm -hmm. bizarre to people in our country and maybe other countries. So, you know, in episode 23, the one before this one, I talked with Greg Creech about Buddhist psychology because mm, he's like yeah. the master of Japanese psychology, um, which was a wonderful uh, time with him. But can you talk to us a bit about being both a Buddhist priest, and you sort of touched on it, but maybe you didn't mm. come up with more, Buddhist priest and psychotherapist. And so for you, what makes it compatible? It might be the divine. Yeah. And what is the driving influence for you serving in both of those roles? Yeah, great question. So I, came, I became a psychotherapist before I became a Buddhist. I was an atheist when I when I became a psychotherapist, um, <laughs> which sounds more uh, normal for most people's head. I think They've yeah, been, as a pure land Buddhist, yeah. I've come a long way from that. <laughs> you sure have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so originally, I think psychotherapy was just a way of uh, helping people discover their truth, I guess, and and speak it. Helping people to come into relationship and and begin to notice with me what happens for them in relationship with others, with the world. Um, and I did uh, the, the Buddhist psychotherapy training with, with Dharma Vidya, with David Brazier. And that influence, that was, that was hugely helpful in terms of personal transformation. Um, but the, the, probably the biggest thing that I um, incorporated after that training was Gisho Psycho's um, model of the, the therapist that the client basically being someone who's low on faith and the therapist mm. being someone who has more faith mm. and the client comes to the therapist and borrows their faith and sits with them wow. and soaks some of that up and finds their own again and leaves <laughs> and leaves <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> you know that's that that's the kind of the end point so so that model really uh, resonated with me that 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 um, that way of thinking about what therapy is um and i think that still is probably the 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 easiest way of speaking about the link between my work in my religious role and my work in in a, a role of um, of uh, secular healing, I guess, mm -hmm. um, is that I am grounded in my faith and that allows me to be present with clients who have lost that, have lost that sense of, of feeling held by something. And, yeah. and, and within that space, it's possible for, for those parts of them to, to emerge. In, in a way that's safe. That's so, um, that's so pure land. And for, we'll, we're going to go yeah. into this more, but yeah. for those, because I'm sure if not half, more than half of the people who listen to me could n never have heard of pure land Buddhism. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, no, no. Or, or if they did, they may have a really strange impression of it yeah uh, so we'll i mean it is a bit strange to be honest <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to I, think, I think yeah i think those of us who follow it um maybe are a bit strange maybe that's how 
we can only speak for ourselves <laughs> yeah. others can self-identify yeah, yeah i don't know i but i i i always i have the sense of my listeners but my audience grows so i don't quite know who my yeah. listeners are but i have yeah. this sense of my listeners from the beginning as being way more secular yeah. um because that was the sort of the hook based on the name of the podcast. So yeah. I, I always try to explain things, you know, probably deeper yeah. than my guests would like to go. Well, I know. I, I'm really with you on that because I think that's something that's, I'm glad you've said that because it's really important to me that if we use language that can be a bit of a trigger for people like the F word, you know, faith. we're going to get into that. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's I'm, I've got that targeted. I think it's word. helpful. And it's not that. the F word that people think we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 it's helpful to do a little bit of translation around that. So, so as not to exclude people who, who don't feel that we're speaking about their experience. Absolutely. Because, because my experience of faith is that it's, it's, doesn't have to involve the Buddha at all. It's about, it's a steadiness. It's a, a sense of things being okay, even though I don't know what's going to happen. You know, those, those kinds of things for me, that is, that is what faith means. So, so. Yeah, yeah. that that's, you know, so let's get into, um, this is a great opening. We'll go into faith later. I think we'll get mm -hmm. a little more depth of, you know, to plumb here, mm -hmm. but let's talk about Pure Land Buddhism since your book is, you know, titled Coming Home Refuge in Pure Land Buddhism and sort of yeah. a primer or intro to Pure Land Buddhism. You guys yeah. had another book about that too, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, so in the West, like I said, or I hinted at, I believe it may be both the most invisible and the most misunderstood, if it is visible, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the Buddhist paths. You know, Zen and Tibetan Buddhism here in the West are very well known. Yeah. Um, and, but the practices involving uh, Amida, Amitabha, you know, the Buddha of infinite light, or mm -hmm. however you want to term it, have been you know, although prevalent in East Asia and maybe widespread even in um, Southeast Asia and some in Tibet because the, mm -hmm. they also practice uh, the Visualization Sutra and they do mm -hmm. have uh, practices around Amitabha in Poa and so forth. So, um, so that, you know, there is, it is there, but I still think it's really not, you know, widespread knowledge. Yeah. So, I'm going to hit you with another toughie. It's a two-part question. Okay. <laughs> First, how did you find Pure Land Buddhism? Mm -hmm. Or maybe how did it find you? That's been my best yeah. question yeah. because most of us I interview on this show seem to answer that way. And, yeah. and next, how would you describe it as right. a priest and a practitioner? Okay. So how did it find me? Um, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up an atheist. I, I'm a very um, self-sufficient, uh, capable, confident, getting things done kind of person. So I've always been very, uh, that, that was my, my security came from being able to look after myself and to decide I was going to do things and do them. Um, and that worked pretty well for me for a long time. And then I was in a relationship with um, an alcoholic mm -hmm. and that pushed me to the limits of my, uh, my self-sufficiency and my ability to handle things. And I found myself in a 12 step group 
for people who are in relationship with alcoholics. Um, at that point, I started noticing that the people in the room who uh, were talking had something that I didn't have, and I really didn't know what it was, but I liked it and I wanted it. They were very, um, they were happy. Some of their lives were absolute, you know, chaos and, and horrible <laughs> things happening, but they were laughing, they were happy, they were honest about themselves, they were humble, and um, they talked about God a lot, they talked about higher power a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what I was doing and I decided to begin to trust that they might know something I didn't. And uh, I was taught a lot by my first sponsor who was also uh, not, she wasn't Christian, but she used the word God quite happily. She said that she used to hate the word God um, and that made me feel better. (laughs) That made me feel kind of more, okay, you know, and she just showed me that the, 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 the most important, that the wisdom that really changed her came from uh, a spiritual place, I guess. And that, that wasn't head knowledge, that was mm-hmm. heart, body, soul kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And she allowed me to, she somehow helped me to open my own heart to that knowledge that I hadn't let in before mm-hmm. and um, that was the beginning um, and then you know fast forward we'll be here a long time to uh, <laughs> a time when I was ready to leave that relationship and I was um, looking for a, a, a therapy training and I typed Buddhist therapy into Google and what came up was the um, house in Nagra where Dharma Vidya, David Brazier used to live with his ex-wife Caroline Brazier and they're both they both used to do um, used to run a training program for Buddhist psychotherapists and they are pure land Buddhists so I went to the training and I was already interested in Buddhism but probably more from a kind of a secular kind of you know I liked the idea of it as a a system of being in the world Mm -hmm. more of a more of the same of what I was doing self-development techniques Mm -hmm. I went to their services which they ran and thought they were really strange (laughs) 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 walk around the Buddha chanting and lots of strange words and I just thought it was really odd Um, and there was something about the people who went to the services that I recognized from those people in the 12-step group Mm -hmm. that they had something and I wanted it and so I just kept going to the services and I kept learning and I kept um, you know my skeptical part came along with me for a long Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and slowly relaxed and um, I was grabbed by Amida I was grabbed by by whatever it is that, that we're in relationship with that um and that, do you that, as as a practitioner and a priest mm-hmm. do you see those roles as different or do you see them more like you know like what you said about psychotherapy is that you're just you're there as a model of having faith and and uh, those who need it can borrow it, you know, or learn from it is, is, mm-hmm. it, or do you see those, do you, do you, I mean, that's a kind of a 
you know, I, it's a complex question and I'm not sure even I'm getting the grip of it here, but <laughs> I have an idea. I have something in my mind that, you know, I've always thought that, you know, practitioners in, 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 in the bright dawn school of oneness Buddhism, Reverend mm -hmm. Koyo Kabose always stretches yeah. that those of us as teachers, our goal is to strive to be perfect students, mm, yeah. which I love. Um, I wonder how you see that, you know, priest slash practitioner. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I, I think that as a priest, there are some res different roles and responsibilities that are part of the kind of the job description. Mm -hmm. um, so when I'm being a practitioner, I, I just get to really share and I get to just, you know, I might, there might be stuff I want to express. I just mm -hmm. express it, whatever. When I'm in the role of priest, I'm aware that people need me to be right. Uh, I'm standing in for something, but I'm 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 just showing people some of me, I guess. Yeah. So um, it's that that liturgical part, part, right? It's the liturgical. Not, not just the liturgical part. So I'll, I'll also be satya, but I'm I, you know just as an example, if I'm if I'm being a practitioner, I I I'm, I might you know if I'm in a sharing circle, I might sob about something. <laughs> If I'm if I'm the, if I'm the priest, you won't do that. I'm not. Gonna, I might, you know, I might well up, <laughs> share some some emotion, but I'm not going to completely break down. And it also, it depends on who's in the circle. But oh, I've, absolutely. I've got an extra. Um, I've got an extra set of responsibilities when I'm in that role as priest, and I only see that role as I'm the one who happens to be wearing the robe. You know, that, mm -hmm. that anyone mm -hmm. in the room could could play that role, but. There's there's a there's a whole set of expectations and 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 responsibilities. A bit like being a mom, I guess. But you yeah. Know, well, it's bit, yeah, it's a bit like being anything that you know we put on all these. Even though we're we're trying to get rid of that self identification as Buddhist, yeah. right? Yeah. We put on all these different, uh, you know, play these different parts. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and and you know when you're mom, a mom, you can't fall apart, and when you're yeah. you know, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, you know, and again, it depends on you know it depends on your children and how old they are and what's going on. Exactly. And all that kind of stuff. Person, but place, making, time. Making those judgments, which we wouldn't be making if we were out with our friends or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so in a way, it's all the same. I'm just satcha wherever I go. Mm -hmm. and so I, I. I'm conscious of, of having different hats on with different people at different times. That's cool. Um, uh, another two-part question. <laughs> yes, it did. No, it totally did. Um, yeah. And here's another two-part question. And then I promise mm -hmm. I'll stop with these two-parters. But you're doing. Wait, wait, I don't think we got to the second part of the last one, but never mind. Yeah, yeah, you did. How would you describe what it? Was, what is pure land Buddhism? Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're you're doing better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I because I said, what did you, you know, yeah, what is Pure Land Buddhism? Well, you can do that here because my next question can can kind of lead into that, okay? Because okay. um, I was going to say, can you say more about the practice of the Nembutsu, hmm. which is the practice, one of the main, pra if not the main practice, uh, but it's one of the practices of uh, Pure Land Buddhism. Uh, it's this in, for those of the, the you you're going to tell them more, but I'm just going to give a sneak peek. Mm. 
saying the name of Amida Buddha is is the Nambutsu. We're actually just saying the name of Amida Butsu, expressed in a six-syllable, typically Japanese uh, phraseology, Namu Amida Buddha. Or Sanskrit is Namo uh, Amitabha Buddha, and there's all different ways, Korean and Chinese mm-hmm. and so forth. And you guys do it a little differently. Again, you you take the Namu and make it Namo, um, um, and then you take the Su off of it and just do Namo Amida Bu. And that's sort of peculiar or particular to the Amida order. So can you say more about this practice Mm-hmm. And then you can then talk about Pure Land Buddhism in the mm-hmm. process, and that will link us back to that question we forgot. Yeah. Yeah. So I won't give a whole history of Pure Land Buddhism because people can go and look that up if they're interested. But right. um, the central practice for, as you say, for Pure Land Buddhists is the Nembutsu. And Nembutsu means remembering the Buddha. And names are powerful. That when somebody says our name, mm. we prick our ears up, and we're like, "Oh!" <laughs> um, or when someone says the word chocolate, or the word, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, slug. <laughs> names are powerful. They they really conjure something of the object for us. So in Pure Land Buddhism, the most powerful object is the Buddha, and the most powerful name is the Buddha's name. So one way of Bring the Buddha is to say the Buddha's name. And what I love about Pure Land Buddhism is its simplicity, that it is available to anybody regardless of how much time they have available, how clever they are, how ethical their life is. Um, anybody can say Namo Midabu. And in saying the name, even if we don't understand what's happening, we're opening a little portal between us and the, the love and the compassion and the wisdom of the Buddha. And even if we don't really know what the Buddha is, mm-hmm. it still works. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those mysterious things that it, 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 it creates a, 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 a connection. And different people, of course, in different religions do that in different ways. Pure Lambadists do that by saying the name of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the services that we run here in the temple are actually quite complicated. They're Japanese, so we do lots of bowing and there's lots of ritual and we have liturgy and all that kind of stuff. Um, but really, none of that is important. The, the only important thing is that we open our hearts to be influenced by the divine, or whatever, whatever word you want to use for that. Can you send then dig deeper into for those who don't know we said we mm-hmm. can, they certainly can look it up but mm-hmm. this amita might be throwing people off if people yeah, know yeah. the no, buddha all right yeah. Um, yeah. so when so when we say the buddha what what people usually mean when we say the buddha is shakyamuni buddha who lived in india two and a half thousand years ago and became enlightened um, amida buddha is a mythical buddha who existed a long long time before Shakyamuni Buddha and Shakyamuni Buddha told the story of Amida to his attendant Ananda and there are lots of elements of the story that are very similar so Amida Buddha also began his life as a prince who was very sort of privileged and met um, uh, an enlightened being and was very inspired by that and wanted to, to become enlightened himself 
and then vowed that he would he would do that he would perfect himself in order to help all, all living beings and um, so there's a whole kind of mythical story or you know you can see it as mythical you can see it as having actually happened who knows um, but it's it's really it, it's it's a way of it's a way of describing a reality that people experience so I would see all all religious stories as ways of talking about things that are really difficult to talk about yeah and 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 go ahead and exploring things that are difficult to talk about or being inspired by things Inspi that exactly I was just gonna what I was going to say it's the that story um, it's what I think turned my head and and made me more of a well there's another story too and i'm going to tell later and we're, we're going to ask about another thing but the the story that in in the sutra that we're referring to there's a little part of the sutra a little mini part a little breakout mm -hmm. part and it's, mm -hmm. it's referred to as the sambutsu gay or tenbutsu gay mm -hmm. um yeah. and it it is the most beautiful thing in the world in my opinion um because what it's talking about, I think, in essence, is what you were describing about what you saw in the people in the 12-step program and then again at mm -hmm. Amida, uh, this thing, this radiant face, yeah. right? <laughs> and you wanted that. And the Sambuzugay, yeah. the Sambuzugay, is that story. Yes. It's, and it's a universal story. It'll yeah. seem all mythical and weirded out to people who are used to not reading stuff like mm -hmm. that, especially mm -hmm. if they read it in the in the in in, in sort of the whole larger Pure Land Sutra. Yeah. It's yeah. really an amazing experience if you want to take the dive. But that just that that part where you're inspired by something you see in someone's face that you admire. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like love but better. It's a bigger yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, your radiant face. Yeah, your like radiant face. Yes. Catching the first burst of morning light. Brighter than the sun, right? Yeah. Yes, right. And I'm and sure we've got different translations, but we know we know the story. <laughs> yeah, we know the story. I'm sure we have yeah. different translations. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've studied both translations because yeah, I, yeah. I studied it in Val 22 with your with your okay. so <laughs> Um, yeah. but, but yeah, I think that's spot on. It, yeah. And, 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 you know, I think, although this sounds all spiritual and mystical and woo woo for somebody who's coming at it from a secular perspective, this is no different than admiring someone and trying to be more like them. Right. Yeah. yeah. What, it, and, and for the better of yourself. And Absolutely. that is kind of catching. I always, I think, yeah. uh, it's infectious. Great, Brazier Sensei says, um, Amita catches you or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think he uses a phrase. I can't remember it exactly, but I love it. Well, I forget. Does he use something like that? Yeah. You're not, you're, you don't, you're caught by Amita or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, but as some listeners probably don't know, there's a pluralism within pure land thought and mm -hmm. practice, just like there is within you know, everybody thinks there's like one Buddhism. Like I did this mm -hmm. whole podcast and what the, what does Buddhism say about? And, mm -hmm. and I, my answer was, the answer was maybe, 
because <laughs> because really there are so many lineages schools traditions and yeah. depending upon the culture there is no one thing you can point to and say okay this is absolutely buddhism and this is absolutely not but just like tibetan buddhism with like five different schools there are multiple schools within pure land thought and mm -hmm. practice including not just the followers of Honan, which is sort of what you follow, or the Jodo Shu, um, but the followers of Shinran, which is mm -hmm. where I sort of got hooked, um, yeah. which is Jodo Shinsu. I don't think it's a huge difference. I think it's like uh, very subtle, and most people wouldn't even notice it. Mm -hmm. um, but it does. It's all founded on like, no matter how big of a jamoke you are, this is a this is a thing you can do. <laughs> You know, Jamoke, I think, is an American term. I, you would yeah, I love it. something else. I don't know. <laughs> but you, you can do this, too, and it'll work for you. Yeah. Um, so the Amida order is a Pure Land or Jodo Shu-based order, correct? I, I think we'd probably say that we're influenced by Honan and Shinran. Yeah, because you do talk about Shinran, yeah, yeah. too. So, so that maybe a bit more Honan, but 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 there's there's influences from from. They're both you know great Pyolan teachers. Yeah, great. And you know, as you know, I'm affiliated with the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness mm -hmm. Buddhism, yeah. which is a non-sectarian presentation. Yeah. And so we don't like say we're aligned with anything in particular mm -hmm. yeah. but we're not officially aligned with that with anything you aren't either i know they are but it emphasizes more the individual spiritual growth and and we don't really have liturgy we don't mm -hmm. have priests we're all just a bunch of bumblers i guess and, and <laughs> but it but it does have its origins in the broader mahayana traditions yeah japanese mahayana traditions yeah of both shin and zen so i come to this from a shin zen perspective but yeah. i remember when i was first introduced to the shin school of pure land buddhism um actually my first introduction was through the writings of your teacher david brazier mm -hmm. um i was at a bookstore this was uh i was practicing tibetan buddhism at the time and actually um in a uh drikun kangyu Kagyu uh, uh, school here in uh, it was a is a center right here in Lo in Rochester and I practiced with them as a member of their sangha and actually taught Buddhism basics there for a while. But I was in a bookstore back when we had bookstores, right? Um, when it, and I was in a bookstore, one of the bigger ones like Borders or Barnes and Nobles or something, and I was of course in the Buddhist section, and this book fell down and it was the Feeling Buddha. <laughs> Okay, I, and and so I picked it up. But I thought the Feeling Buddhist. So I started looking through that. That book had a significant impact on me and was instrumental to my spiritual path. And I had it fell down at the same time. I had started studying um, the larger Pure Land Sutra because I was turned on to it by an, another. Uh, British teacher, and I forget where it was from. I found a podcast, or well, they didn't call them podcasts, and I found some teaching then. And so I was all in this sort of thing that was happening to me, and I've always thought it was a me to, you know, bopping me over the head. Um, <laughs> and but it was instrumental to my spiritual path in, in a huge way. So, what book mm -hmm. or particular teaching has had that sort of 
smack mm. you in the head influence on your life? Good question. Well, I don't tend to like Buddhist books. <laughs> like first confession. Well, I love them. That's cool. <laughs> you know, there's obviously lots of wonderful teachers out there, but the books that have really changed me tends to be uh, Christian books because the Christian books are talking about something that I really recognize as a pure land Buddhist. Yes, Christian mysticism, um, right? Sort of. Yeah, mysticism. Yeah. So mysticism actually across the board. So, you know, Rumi. Um, right. Uh, I think that I think the mystical edges of all traditional religions I'm really drawn towards. Um, so as an example, I'm just sitting by my bookshelf now. So this is one of my favorite books of all time, which is written by Quaker. Um, I'm holding it up, but people yeah. can't see that, can they? No, 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 it isn't. <laughs> I'll read it as well. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> um, so, a testament to de of de a testament of devotion by Thomas R. Kelly, uh, which is just his description of being in connection with the divine. Yeah. Um, there's also Brother Lawrence. Uh, oh Richard yeah, Richard Richard Rohr. Yeah, you're hitting my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so those kind of writers. Uh, the twelve step, uh, the the big book of AA, mm -hmm. I've had and has a big effect on me. Basically, does the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's... I, I guess that there was there was a Buddhist book that 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 knocked me onto the Buddhist path, which was um, uh, Zen Mind. Um, Zen Mind, so, beginner's mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that was also very important. Suzuki. But what was more important than that actually was the autobiography of Suzuki Roshi. Yeah, oh, that's great. But yeah, yeah, that's because then it felt like I really met him somehow. Yeah, I like so, that. So for me, I kind of fall in love with authors, I get head over heels with with authors. And I just <laughs> think that I just fall completely in love with them. And I think they're just the best thing ever. <laughs> and and kind of enter into quite an intense relationship with them and learn, <laughs> soak stuff up. And then I start, you know, I get a bit cooler and realize that they're not perfect. But Gerald May, I've been reading a lot recently. He writes about um, addiction and grace, and yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't choose one. I think is my short answer. <laughs> no, but that's really good because it actually uh, it hits me. I I before I well, well I was still dis discovering my Buddhist self back. You know, I, I toyed with Buddhism when I was a kid and mm. then left it. And, you know, long story short, um, I when I came back to it, I came back to the Christian mystics in a big mm. way. Yeah. And and like Meister Eckert and um, yeah. and the and the Desert Fathers. And Teresa of Avila. yeah, and and I, and I, they they were had a huge influence on me. And then mm. and. So there, there was a, always a concurrent path. So I still feel they, they're kind of always like yeah. right there. Yeah. Now, it, but, it, but it was the feeling Buddha that first introduced me to that feeling, a truly felt sense of other power, which we really haven't talked about, or yeah. Tarigi, and something beyond myself, something bigger than me. And it, mm -hmm. it reattached me to a faith that I saw in my mother who was Christian mm -hmm. and that I never actually had because I, I guess I was just too um, contradictory and intellectual or something. And yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. what you do. Yeah. 
But I didn't even know what other power was at the time. I just felt it in that book, it, mm -hmm. it, uh, the feeling Buddha. And I think that's what captured me. And but like, you know, like Honan and Shinran, at the time I was struggling with right practices, being in a Tibetan tradition, I was going through, and I don't know if you know anything about this, but I was going through Nundro, which is this intense practice of a hundred thousand prostrations oh, yeah. and offerings, and you've probably heard it. Yeah. And I was feeling... Um, overwhelmed, exhausted, and defeatist. <laughs> and so I really identify with Honan and Shinran because that's mm -hmm. how I felt. And my Tibetan teacher, who was still my friend, um, and I had him on this series too, I, he seemed to think it was the Nundro that brought me to my right practice. Mm -hmm. It was doing mm -hmm. the Nundro yeah. that yeah. brought me. So in other words, I, that was all self-power. That was Jiriki. And then, then the other power was Tariki. Um, so this all, long story short, and we won't get into the other power and self-power unless you want to go there a little bit, but it leads me to the word refuge, which mm -hmm. has a central place in your writing, in this mm -hmm. book especially, and it's a key concept in that book, Coming Home. So what is refuge, Satya? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's one of those words that when we speak it, we know, I think people know what refuge is. Mm -hmm. And I think that people also know that, that some refuges are better for us than others. Mm. That, that we, we all take refuge in things like television and trashy novels and gossiping and all kinds of things. That, that <laughs> food, which, which go from the scale of, you know, a bit too much chocolate all the way to heroin addiction and, you know, violence and we, we all take refuge in order to feel safe it's scary to be alive and, mm -hmm. and we do things and go places and manipulate the world in order to try and feel safe mm -hmm. and when we are seeking refuge uh, we're being driven by that kind of quivering, Ezra Bader talks about that kind of quivering restlessness, mm -hmm. unsettled. Um, and so refuge is anything that makes us feel safe. But Buddhists would say that there are only three refuges that are safe, that are, that are permanent, and that they are a relationship with the Buddha, a relationship with the Buddha's teachings, Dharma, and a relationship with the community of Buddhists, Sangha. And that, that those three are the only refuges that are reliable. Everything else is impermanent, is, um, is unreliable, is we, we might be able to get it to stick for a while if we work really hard and manipulate things, but, but there's, there's, a, there's an inevitability to, uh, to the disintegration of all other refuges. And as Pure Land Buddhists, we add, in our school, we add Pure Land, mm -hmm. um, we add Amida Buddha to that list of three, and we also add the Pure Land, which is the place where Amida lives, his, mm -hmm. his field of influence, his or her field of influence. Um, so coming into refuge is coming into relationship with these five things. And do you feel, in your personal experience as a practitioner, mm -hmm. 
uh, the pull of one of the three treasures more than the other? It's mm, a nice question. I feel an emotional uh, kind of rush or whoosh more from Songa. And when I, when I, through, through people, people connect me to the Buddha quite, quite beautifully. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'll often connect with the Buddha through people or through nature, actually, which maybe we can include in Songa somehow, yes, the, exactly. the Songa of the, the, the natural world. Um, and I also, I, I really love connecting with, with the Buddha. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at the beginning, we mentioned uh, that Pure Land Buddhism was understood and we circled around the F word. And mm -hmm. I think that's another concept we need to go back and clear up a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we talked at the beginning that it's nice to sort of introduce concepts, but take them ones deeper that might have introduced some confusion. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the concept of refuge that we're talking about is sort of at the heart of the misunderstanding of Pure Land Buddhism in some ways, because I think it is, even though we all have refuge, nobody, I don't think, thinks of it, a, a person who has no faith, is agnostic, an atheist, would think of the refuge we're talking about as blind faith or... Mm -hmm possibly even worship of the Buddha or a mm -hmm. mystical Buddha figure like Amida. Mm -hmm. So when I speak with secular audiences or people who come to me who want to understand more about Buddhism, I typically use the word confidence in talking to the more mm -hmm. secular audiences. Mm -hmm. But it leaves me cold in some ways because I don't think faith has, I mean, confidence has that heart thing that I don't know how else to describe it other than the heart thing. Okay. Um, so I also use the word faith. Now, it, when I get to know who I'm talking to, then I can just tell how far I can go one way or the other. But, <laughs> but the thing about it is, is what I always try to explain to people in, in that is we all have faith. And like you said, we all take yeah. refuge in something. Yeah we all have faith in something like we have faith. The sun's going to come up every morning and mm -hmm. that there's gravity keeping us from flying away into space mm -hmm. or that the solid earth will be under our feet when we step down. Yeah. Um, and that faith is just faith. It's not blind faith. I don't know why we always have to say blind faith. It's faith. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, faith in Buddhism is the cornerstone of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The promises of Buddhism can be proved by doing Buddhism, mm -hmm. right? You, but you have to sort of do it. You can't expect, we, we talk about like Amida goddess and all that stuff, but you sort of have to start somewhere. You take that first step somehow. Yeah. And, you know, you, you have to have some, first of all, belief or faith that if you take that first step, it's going to pay off, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so yeah. that takes having someone or something, a teacher, a mm -hmm. book or something that demonstrates its benefits. That's sort of like the Tembutsu Gay again, something that shines at us and says, hey, this could work. Mm -hmm. So you said what it was for you in the beginning was being a part of their services when you were there learning psychotherapy. But what was, you know, and you said they had something, they had something. <laughs> oh, what was it that they had yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. gave you faith? Yeah. 
Yeah. It, it, I think that when we get to this kind of area, it's where language starts failing. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. That's why I gave you the question. In the <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I completely agree with what you just said. And I think that... Um, I think that's why it can be more helpful to just give our, our analytical brains, just ask them to step back for a little while and to just go with the experience and see, see it as an experiment. And if you meet someone and you kind of think, oh, this person uh, is shiny <laughs> and they seem to laugh a lot and enjoy life and I wonder what it is that they've got, just hang out with them and you'll find out. Yeah. But don't ask them to explain it because that won't get you very far. Because this, this is beyond language. This is beyond, uh, it's beyond intellect. Yeah. It's, it's that explaining that gets us into the, all that trouble, you know, where we start disagreeing with everybody. You know? yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, absolutely. And we have, you know, was it category where she said, we have to say something, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we have to say something. I mean, I've just written a whole book. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's quite a few pages. I'm looking at it now and holding it up myself. <laughs> and there's quite a few pages that talk about faith. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that was so, special. So thing. We have, we have to try and say something. And um, the best way, I think, to investigate these things, if there is a little part of you that's kind of feeling curious, then just go along to something. Um, try, and, try and listen to the, the, the universe's whispering in your ear and, and just become open to being led, like, like you were led when the book fell. I mean, it was quite a clear sign you got that the book fell on the floor in front of you, but right. it might I, not be that clear. Well, <laughs> funny, the funny thing is, and I, whenever I tell this story, I actually just put it back. <laughs> and then I started walking to get the book that I was originally looking for. And then I, then I, my, my, my subconscious or whatever overrode my intellectual linear brain and said, you better look at that. So I went <laughs> back to find it. Yeah. And that is a beautiful example of becoming open to other power because one way of thinking about other power is it is something that is beyond us. Right. It, 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 yeah. It's bigger than us. It knows better than we do. And oh my God, that is hard for me to take. <laughs> it's hard. For, it's hard. It is hard to take in, but boy, it's an experience that once you've had a taste of it, you yeah. want so much more. You get it's very, such very a relief. Such a relief. <laughs> yeah. It's such a relief that I don't know everything and that I can't control the world. Right. At some days, it's a relief. <laughs> some, days. some days it really bugs me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think that pure lab Buddhism is such a hard sell in the West <laughs> yeah. because we have been brought up um, being told that the way to be happy is to control ourselves and to control our environment in order to get certain things. And actually my experience is that it's the opposite. It is. But that's really hard to let go of if you, if that's the way you've stayed safe all your life. It, so what we're saying to people, sorry, to what we say to people who are coming to the temple is basically, um, you're not as in control as you thought you were, and and we're going to ask you to lean back into something that you don't even know if it exists or not. Exactly. I use I use 
I use that symbolic uh, symbol all the time, the metaphor of where you fall back into someone's arms. Cause you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that, what that little practice you do with teams and stuff, um, yeah. which is so silly really after a while, because <laughs> you know, there's always going to be somebody there. Yeah. But the big thing is when you don't know, there's going to be somebody yeah. there. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about. Right. And that's why for me, religion or spiritual, spiritual uh, practice is such a personal thing that we can never presume to know what what someone else's experience is and it's so important that people go at their own pace that they do, that oh. they, br they bring their skeptical part along that part's also really welcome and they you know they just take little tiny steps and, and follow, follow their curiosity i love that you said that is like go at your own pace and bring your skeptical parts that's so wonderful yeah, because it's very welcome yeah <laughs> yeah because you know people do ask a lot you know, I have this Facebook group that I launched off my uh, podcast and I know you're a Facebook person. So you know how this goes. Sometimes you get overwhelmed with a bunch of little questions and, um, and you, you want to take a ton of time to answer in a proper way, but mm. you don't have a ton of time. So mm. you, you don't quite know how to answer, but so many times it's what, how should I start? Yeah, you know, practice. That's such a tough question. Um, and I always say, sort of like you, just start where you feel called. Start where mm. where it, like makes you feel all happy inside. You know, yeah. don't yeah. start where someone told you you should. Yeah, great. Right? Yeah, trust trust yourself. And right. sometimes, and sometimes you do need to go the uncomfortable. You do need to go into the uncomfortableness. So it's you not do. always that it feels great, but that you need to somehow feel safe enough to do that. Right, because you can't always just plunge into 20 minutes of meditation, you know, that's what everybody thinks. And then, yeah. then and everything then is going to be okay and the world's going to open up and you're, whoops, mm -hmm. I just hit my microphone. So, you know, that's, <laughs> I'm gesturing wildly here. Um, so, all right, so can you tell us another thing? Um, and this is a plug for another one of your books, more about being just as you are, because this is a typical theme in Pure Land Buddhism. You talk about it in here yeah, in this book, yeah. but also you have a whole book that you co-wrote with your husband, Kaspa, called Just As You Are, Buddhism for Foolish Beings. What does just as you are indicate, uh, you yeah. know? Yeah. So Amitabha Buddha, Buddha of infinite light, is known as being the Buddha of all acceptance. So when we say the name of Amida Buddha, we're connecting with the quality of a, a being who is able to see inside us and see exactly why we do the things we're doing hmm. and really gets it, really gets that the things that we do, however harmful they are to others, are driven by fear are driven by greed, hate, and delusion. And Amitabha really feels for us, really gets it and really feels for us and accepts that that's how we are and that's what we're doing. Hmm. So that so that it's 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 almost impossible to imagine, but it's it's that it's an absence of judgment. Yeah. And the idea is that when we come into relationship with something that is not judging us, but, but, but feeling warm towards us. And, and, you know, I often see Amida with a kind of a wry smile. Oh, there she goes again, doing that thing that really. <laughs> and many of the statues of Amida have that. 
yeah that half smile that yeah very fond Dharma Vidya does a very good wry smile as well but that, yeah. that kind of that fond wry smile mm-hmm. but that when we come into that energy when we bathe in that energy we want to be better Mm. We, we, we know that we're seen and we know that we're getting it wrong and we just want to be better. We just want to get it right. And that that is much more healing than coming into relationship with something that says you shouldn't be doing that or I don't like that that you do or you should do, you know, you should be different. So perfect. So perfect. It's like, yeah, that's why it, it really bothers me sometimes that people come to Buddhism, especially newcomers to Buddhism come and they, they think of the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the freedom vows and the precepts and mm-hmm. they, they focus so much on what they're not supposed to do. And you yeah. shouldn't do that and judging others for doing that, that they're missing the whole good, all the good stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. that yeah. always bothers me if they're very be- human. Yeah, yeah. If they're good, we want to be good, and we, you know, we yeah. want to get the top marks. We want to be the good <laughs> the achiever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and Amida sees all that too. He sees that we're, you know, some of that motivation for doing that stuff is really selfish. <laughs> I think, in a lot of ways, most of it is because you, we want to be the best Buddhist ever, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so, in so time, to me, that's a really important part of being a pure land Buddhist is that that knowing on some level that I am accepted just as I am, even if I don't feel it very much. Exactly. And that's what I wish that would, that's why I wish Pure Land was more mm. in, in the mainstream because it mm. I would make such a difference, I think, for people. Yeah. If, yeah. if they well, politicians would be able to kind of say, yeah. Actually, I made a mistake there. Can I just... <laughs> Hey, can I just go and change that? <laughs> yeah, right. Or will they be right. able to say, oh, yeah, she's really got a good point. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing. We, God forbid we hold any, you know, we can't, we hold everybody up as some sort of spectacle as perfection. And then when they blow it, we're all over them that they're not yeah. perfect. You know, it's, it's yeah. amazing if we could just all open up and say, okay, we're all a bunch of jerks and someone loves us anyway. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. And we try and love each other in that way. And we frequently, and that's okay. Now we only have a little more time left. I don't know if you have like a couple minutes left, but Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to just mention mindful writing Mm -hmm. and the practice of small stones, because it was another of the things that attracted me to you as a teacher, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a practice that so many of us could benefit from, especially in this sort of um, mindfulness culture where we're every, you know, mindfulness is on every street corner, every, every book, every, everywhere. It's all about mindfulness. There's nothing wrong with that. I like it. I'm not criticizing it, but um, I think just listening and seeing and experiencing and then trying to get it written down in like five words or something is is such a profound experience it to me it's less like writing and more like spiritual practice Mm -hmm. can you say Mm -hmm. anything about that that would and i know you don't run those workshops anymore so we'll have to give them a place to go but hey (laughs) can you say anything about small stones yeah so small stones is as you say it's it's like salima hill said it's it's the byproduct of paying proper attention to the world so we pay proper attention we open all our senses and then we try and describe what we've experienced um i spoke to 
done a video about it uh, last year, a couple of years ago, I said I had this theory that maybe small stones were Wenembutsu, and, and he agreed. Ah. That they're a way of, of, of calling out, of reaching out to the world and, and of the world reaching back or being met by the world. So it's, it's again, it's just a little stitch. It's a little opening. It's a little channel between us in our small little, you know, <laughs> back of skin and mm. everything. And, and it's so easy to reach a point where we've protected ourselves so much that we just, we just not in touch with it anymore. Yeah. And, and the little things we can do to just open ourselves up a little bit um, help that's, us to, 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 to connect back. That's wonderful. You, you brought it even deeper and broader than I had even thought, you know, mm -hmm. beyond mindfulness and into the reaching out and being held and yeah. the greater connection. Uh, that's yeah. just the yeah. inner connection, if you will. That's, yeah. you know, a you know, yeah. major point of Buddhism, a major tenet of Buddhism, if you will. So that's wonderful. And it's a great place to end because in this interconnected world, we, we're going to end with a, just a little small stone. That's what we're going to end with. So, mm. Satya, it was so wonderful for you to agree to be on this podcast today. It's, it's, I, I will put your books, uh, uh, links on my website. Um, I'll probably have to put Feeling Buddha up there since I gave it such a big plug too, mm, but I don't yeah, want to. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, it's the one that we recommend people read first if they're interested in, in Dharma Bridges writing. Good, good. Yeah, uh, definitely. And by the way, that was part of our curriculum in Bright Dawn. Mm, the feeling right. yeah, yeah. and and, and uh, uh, David Brazier sensei talked to our class um, oh, so yeah. that's how I first connected we have some nice links we, yeah, we, isn't that we fun the, yeah we use the um, Sun break no, uh, we use the book sometimes in our circle oh um, the running Oh, his, 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 a bright dawn where he was talking about running by the lake. It's, yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. To share those. Yeah, it is. It's, it's absolutely, it's great. It's beautiful. So thank you so much, Satya. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you here. Um, and hopefully we can all talk again. Um, and it'll be, it'll be wonderful. Thank you again. Deep bow. Thank you so much. It's a real privilege to, to, to have this conversation and, uh, opens things up i can feel like all these uh, things we've talked about are all spinning around the room right now <laughs> thank you that's it for today's episode thank you for joining me as promised i will post links to Sacha's books coming home refuge in pure land buddhism and just as you are buddhism for foolish beings and also dharma vidya david brazier's book the feeling buddha which we discussed in this episode. I will also post links to the Amida Mandala Buddhist Temple's website and Facebook group where you can learn more about Pure Land Buddhism, the Amida Order, and even join virtual practices. As always, thanks to everyone who listens, subscribes, rates, and reviews the podcast, comments on my website or the public Facebook group, and also, obviously, thank you so much for donating to help keep the content, content written, produced, and distributed. You know, I'm still thinking of more ways for us to connect. 
our private Facebook book, book study group is is going right now, and it's a been a wonderful experience with lots of sharing. So that initiative was a success. I hope to soon introduce a Zoom video hangout or sangha where we can discuss our practices and serve as supports to each other. Meanwhile, I'm hard at work on my book, Making Every Day Better, Everyday Buddhism Tips and Tricks, Applying the Buddhist Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Path to Everyday Life. I hope to have that published and available by early to midsummer, and I will keep you posted. So until next time, keep making your everydays better. <laughs>